Welcome back to the Aon Pensions podcast. Today, we're joined by Tapan Dasa. Tapan is Head of Asset Allocation at Aon. Welcome, Tapan. Uh, good to be here. Could you tell the listeners or remind the listeners a little bit about what your role is at Aon? So I head up the Global Asset Allocation team at Aon, and this is the global team which is really tasked with helping our clients navigate with the, the range of financial conditions that we see, good and bad. Uh, and this is it's basically a, a kind of guidance to how you get your investment portfolios to navigate successfully over time. And I can imagine you've been very busy over the last six to, to eight weeks. Absolutely. It's not stopped at all. So I'm sure this is a question that has been asked by many of your, your existing clients. But what damage is the coronavirus doing to the UK and global economies? Well, it is doing quite a lot of damage. The media, as you know, is absolutely full of stories on how the UK economic crash is the worst for several centuries. Well, you know, when you think about it for a moment, this should be no surprise because large parts of the economy were shut down quite deliberately from the second half of March. And if you look at previous recessions, even the global financial crisis did not see such a kind of total shutdown. But, you know, when you've got to keep perspective, so we, I think that the key job here is to be less focused on how deep this recession is. And it's much more important to focus on how long uh, the shutdown and economic disruption lasts. That really is what matters at this point. And there's a huge amount of uncertainty over this. So we are expecting a partial recovery. But whether and how long it takes us to get back to the starting point before the COVID crisis hit is the big question. So uh, the issue here is that many economic activities, and you know which ones I'm talking about, they're not compatible with the lockdowns lifting anywhere near fully. So in turn, this means that fully restoring economic activity is unlikely anytime soon. In fact, it may be several years and possibly not until some kind of a medical solution is found, either through an effective global vaccine or some remarkable breakthrough treatment for COVID is found. So what is the, the impact of that? So what it means that is that, unfortunately, this economic problem may not be the worst form that we saw through last month, but the problem in some form is still likely to be with us for quite some time. And as usual, we can be optimists or pessimists on this. But even on an optimistic viewpoint of medical science getting us a breakthrough, it is generally regarded as unlikely that we recover the UK economy back to the starting point before 2022. And you know, the pessimists would probably put it even further back than, than that. Even 2022 is quite some time to wait, right? So the other question that keeps being asked is how the UK compares globally with this. So there are two issues here. So the medical casualties of COVID have been worse in the UK than some other comparable advanced economies. But the interesting thing is that the economic trajectories look broadly similar. This is a worse economic crisis by far than we have seen in our lifetimes. And it's a lot longer for the global economy, as you would expect from a global pandemic, with an infectious disease that has affects, which has brought so much fear and apprehension. So yes, we can recover, but much depends on whether and how much of normal life can resume. We're in a good environment where we keep looking over our shoulder with all the social distancing in place. That's the kind of subpar recovery we probably expect. 
And do you think the reaction by governments and authorities has been appropriate to the scale of the economic problem? I mean, there's obviously going to be bills to pay for all of the assistance measures that the UK government is offering to protect people from this savage downturn. Yeah, so whatever we think about the ways different countries have responded to the specific challenges on, well, testing, tracking, treating COVID patients, uh, actually, we have to hand it to the policymakers dealing with the economic crises. They have responded actually quite effectively to these national and global emergencies. Governments and central banks have thrown safety shields onto economies and markets. Both. As we know, the UK government's attempts to protect employees from being thrown out of work or from being regarded as defaulting on their mortgage. And of course, small businesses are being protected by loan guarantees and help from business rates. As we know, all of this costs money. And this year's budget deficit will be awesomely high, as, as high as £250 billion. So you're thinking, uh, you know, who pays for this? And the answer is no, we don't actually have to pay immediately or directly. It is true that the government will want to raise taxes at some point to make sure that public finances don't go completely awry, but they will not want to raise taxes to pay for this this year or even next year, because this would seriously slow the economy down again. So yes, only when things go get better, do taxes probably have to rise, but there is no rush. And the other important point I would make is that for the time being, you've got the friendly Bank of England out there to help finance some of those deficits. It's going to be buying a lot of the gilts the government is issuing through its quantitative easing or asset purchase scheme, and that really helps. Uh, the government raise the money and the cash to pay for all of this. The bank is also helping in another way, which is it keeps keeping the government's borrowing costs very low through freezing interest rates pretty much at zero, which is bringing guilt yields lower and therefore the costs of borrowing lower for governments. Uh, how do you assess the market impact from the COVID-19 crisis so far? A month ago, markets were in free fall, but then they steadied and have recovered quite a lot of lost ground. Do you think the worst is over for the stock markets? Well, yes, at one time, markets were down by as, as high as 30-odd percent. Actually, the UK market was down by even more. Uh, this was kind of third week of March around that time. And, you know, 20% fall in markets is the kind of threshold used to define a really bad market, what is sometimes called a bear market. And at that point, it looked pretty grim. And then markets steadied. And the key to markets steadying was the large assistance being directly given to markets by central banks. And that was absolutely key. And of course, governments came out with big budget stimulus. And all of that was the turning point. Now, if you look at the assistance being given to markets by central banks, this time around, it's gone beyond what we saw during the financial crisis, because they're not just buying government bonds. Central banks are committed to supporting, actually directly supporting riskier markets like corporate bonds, mortgages, even high yields, so-called junk bonds. And this has really helped steady market nerves quite a bit and accounts for the recovery. So you asked the question as to whether the worst was over. So there's no easy answer to this. It is still very hard. All the bad news is out of the way. And the reason we can't say for sure is because we do not know how the pandemic and its after effects on economies as they try and maintain social distancing. We just don't know how all that will play out. Yes, if we're lucky, the negative effects will reduce over time, though it's unlikely that they disappear entirely. It is clear, for instance, that corporate profits are falling at the moment quite sharply. Now, the hope must be that this fall in profits 
will ease going into next year. But look, markets have already recovered on the basis of that expectation. And given that uncertainties are still with us and quite high, we're just not confident that this is a good time to add to your equity exposure. It was right a few weeks ago. Yeah, don't get me wrong. But the case is less good today. It may be that stock markets are looking a little bit too optimistically at companies' return to health over the next few years. And, you know, we've seen some recent earnings results. It's interesting that some of them have shown that even when companies are growing their sales, costs in the COVID environment may be higher, such as those needed to be incurred to just protect employees. So the bottom line is stocks are looking a little bit pricey. Valuations are now once again looking a little bit on the high side and just not a great inducement to buy at present. If you think markets are tending towards being a bit too optimistic in terms of the return to normal business conditions, how should investors react? It, it is just such a difficult time. There's so much uncertainty and volatility. So one approach is to just try and look through volatility and argue that things will eventually be okay. Now, this approach helps longer-term investors. They don't mind sitting through perhaps a prolonged period of losses so long as there are gains on the other side. But many investors cannot do, for a variety of reasons, take a five- to ten-year view like this. And for them, you know, they will want to put some money back to work, but there will be a lot of trepidation understandably. And at present, with equities, it is a bit difficult right now to be putting more money to work. But our sense is that there will potentially be still some more buying opportunities over time as the market goes through periods of weakness, uh, because we expect the market to still remain very volatile. And, you know, those periods when the market sells off will offer scope to add. The other aspect that is quite interesting when we compare other contenders in risky assets that we could buy credit investments generally look better value right now because central bank buying have, have forced some of those prices to recover, but they still look rather better for investors than they did pre-COVID crisis. So you're buying at better levels. So on a relative basis, if one was going to take some risk in markets, credit looks a better place than equities here and now. Now, I'm aware that I'm generalizing a bit, and, but generally when I look across the spectrum of credit markets, there are areas of value. So asset-backed securities, for instance, market pricing still looks pretty good. And in fact, if we widen the scope of looking at credit further, there are other areas such as distressed credit, where there is scope to buy securities at you know, pretty low depressed level on the view that conditions will eventually normalize. And this brings scope for higher return. And illiquid opportunities are also better than the pre-COVID environment from a kind of value and return standpoint. How can investors best protect themselves in this kind of environment? Look, one of the most traditional and still one of the best ways to protect is to hedge. And the classic one, of course, is hedging your interest rate risk. It is a classic protective strategy because for many, it is important to lock down the risk of lots of moves in the way our liabilities are going to be valued. We're talking about a pension plan. Now, for some years, it has looked as though interest rates are so low that the risk arising from falling interest rates and therefore Rising liability is actually low. But as we have seen again and again, interest rates can stay low and go still lower. And this still remains the case today. If we look at inflation hedging, the attractions there have actually increased because the cost of putting on inflation hedges has reduced because the world is quite worried about deflation. Now, this will probably last a while, but the smarter ones among us will be seeing this as an opportunity to take hedges on inflation risk out a bit more cheaply 
uh, and inflation risk may rise as economies recover. Now, if we are looking at hedging and spreading risks from your growth asset point of view, well, the only tried and tested method here is to spread your risks out. Uh, and in an environment of great uncertainty, this is really about the only way we can protect. So diversifiers for equity risk remain important to have as a focus. Interesting here that private real estate was a traditional and fairly popular diversifier, which we know has been disrupted by the crisis, given its illiquidity and because of the way the COVID crisis has affected real estate. But you know, when the dust settles, it will probably still have outperformed equities. And then there are also some absolute return hedge fund strategies like global macro, which have had a good crisis so far and benefit from high volatility. And of course, there are more examples. And these types of portfolio risk buffers do retain their importance for now. Well, Tapan, thanks for sharing that with us. Some really interesting points and some great insight raised there. Thank you. You're welcome.